So uh, on Father's Day uh, morning, I was in North Carolina, it was my first weekend back in public meetings, and came very clear to me, and obviously this is not an exhaustive word, and I actually don't know how much sometimes in settings, just as the Lord leads, I'll share all of it. But the Lord gave me seven prophetic keys that have to guide the future of the body of Christ. And the first key that he gave me was homes and families must become the foundation for generational discipleship. If you think about God, um, God never desired to, uh, for humanity to ever have a physical death, but they were supposed to live forever, generation after generation. And one of the, we know, right, one of the commands he gave them was to be fruitful and multiply, and that was a literal command from the Lord. And because Adam, Adam literally had to be taught to die. That's why it took him so long to die. Think about that. He's supposed to live forever. So he was, he's always thinking multi-generationally. And that uh, we have this principle. We find it like, I, I call it like in glimpse. Maybe I just don't have enough light on it. Um, but uh, you realize that, right? I think I mentioned it this morning. It's like you don't really understand the truth until you start to practice the truth, and then you think you know it, and then he just... (laughs) Because it's like you're staring at the same truth, but there's dimensions to that. And the dumbest you can ever be is to think you really understand something. (laughs) And... um, But he says this, a righteous man, how many righteous people are here, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And what in the natural, um, because of the family I've been, I I fully believe that some things that are happening in my life, and especially my assignment, because I'm a five-fold minister, I don't have anything to do with. My grandfather was an amazing minister of the gospel. And if you, if you have, I, I've been very intrigued by this. If I, I've just looked at almost every, uh, at least minister I've looked at in America, even Steve Furtick, who have significant ministries or what we would consider larger mega ministries, there's somewhere in their lineage where they had someone who was a minister or something in their lineage line. And so many times people think like, oh, they built that overnight. No, I often think they're carrying a momentum from a previous generation that they step into. Now, there are people that, that like, they actually advance something. But the purpose is, uh, I believe I'm living in the benefit of my grandparents' choice and also my parents' choices. That the, thi- the, the, the truths that I get to walk in and the benefits I have have nothing to do with me. Now, I have a responsibility to do something with it. Like, I had uncles that I believe were called but never said yes, so I asked God for the grace that was on them. Just I'll just take that. And we'll just keep <laughs> advancing it. No, I'm serious. Like, Because they shouldn't leave the earth. But the, 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 the point of that is, uh, because of certain things, that, certain choices that my parents made, I didn't have to forge a path in those areas. I naturally walked in blessing in those areas. So the point is that we have this responsibility to forge and to break ground and to break in and to keep practicing truth that I know that there are things that... I'm going to try and maximize, learn my best, but there'll be people that come after me that will start here, but they will elevate the truth that I told them. Like, hopefully, like, 
maybe I wasn't planning on saying all this, but it's here. Um, my grandfather obviously paved the way in the supernatural and some things. They said he would like uh, come off the ground sometimes. And that when I go to Puerto Rico sometimes, I uh, haven't been there several years, but uh, people will come up to you, like you preach exactly like, they're like your facial expressions. My aunt especially would tell me it's exactly like your grandfather. And he was a man with an eighth grade education, but he knew the word. He sounded like a brilliant, like God will just make you look smarter. But there, there was something he never forged into, and it was this. I remember uh, they pointed out this one church, and my mom said, yeah, your, your grandfather used to pastor this church. I said, oh, really? It's not far, far from the farm my, my, my mom grew up in. And um, uh, she said, she told me a story like they didn't pay him anything, and uh, that's why uh, one of the number one tools of the enemy is ignorance. My people perish without a lack of revelation knowledge. So, like, there's a number of ways that the enemy keeps God's people without. One of them is ignorance. Just keep them stupid. Number two, just make it religious. Like, if he can't get you to, to really, you know, move in some incorrect things, like we know, like, certain things, that's not a good idea, then he'll just make you a religious Christian where you're not producing anything. And you might be really busy at it, too. Oh. It's another thought, but uh, she told me he pastored this church, and he said sometimes he would wait after Sunday, and we would wait for somebody to invite him to the house, because that's where he would spend a few days, because they would feed him, and that's what he would do. He received no compensation. He had 11 kids, 12 kids later on. That's a lot, and so when I started, I, uh, I didn't know that story until years later, but when I started the ministry that I'm leading now, the Lord spoke to me, and I didn't know this, but he said, I'm going to... Uh, help you. You said your grand. When my grandfather died, my dad, my I was in the back, and I didn't know him that well. I just he had prayed for me a few times and stuff, and I knew he was my grandfather. But it wasn't like we did all these things together. We had a relationship, but not a deep relationship. I was crying in the back of the funeral home, and I was like, "What's going on? I don't, you know, I don't really like. He's like, I know, sad. He's in heaven, but the Lord's like, you, you have his mantle." And so the Lord speaks to me, and He said. Your grandfather was an amazing man of God, but he never broke the spirit of poverty off his ministry. And I'm going to teach you how to break the spirit of poverty for a generation of ministers to come in your family lineage through radical generosity. So flash forward maybe five, six years later, I started thinking about this. this the Lord's still teaching me about this area, but, and I certainly haven't arrived. But he, he said, you know, your grandfather couldn't even go down the road to get back to his family. Didn't own a car, didn't own anything like that. And uh, he said, but look what I've done with your generation. You fly all over the world, and I pay the bill. That's why, is, listen to me, Linda. No, this is, this is real. Part of being a proper disciple is being convinced that the Lord wants you blessed. It's not an option in discipleship. It's a truth. Two foundational pieces to live in that area of your life. Number one, God has many channels, but God is your source. But number two, just like God wants you to have a prayer life, just God wants you to forgive, God wants you to lay hands on the sick and see their cover, prophesy, 
the will of God, as it's at, you are actually living in this, and this is not shame. I, I remember getting more love than offering. I remember believing God to go from one city to the next. It just wherever you start, it's a wonderful place to start. There's no shame and blame, but it is actually a mandate as a disciple of the Lord, if you are a proper disciple of Jesus Christ, to live more than enough. Amen. Think about this. Think about this. I don't know why I'm on this, but here we go. Uh, you already took the offering. But here, here's the thing. I'm not trying to get money. I, that, that's the thing, though, right? You got to say these things. There's so much stupid propaganda inside the church. <laughs> you got to break that thing. You got to get delivered to that. I just want your money. Listen, if you don't, like, if this doesn't, like, I'm teaching you the word here. Amen. Just stop that. Like, wouldn't it be awesome to just walk in here one Sunday and you're like, Pastor Dave, I got enough money. Let's pay off this building. Yeah, you said amen to that, right? That's why you should be blessed. But if you won't do it, if the Lord's like, you know, you see this mom there, she's got her cart full, and he goes, pay for her groceries. You're like, you're like, you're like, but, but I've got my own groceries. Yeah, I know. So the point is, everyone would go, that's awesome. Pay off the building. But don't wish you can get there. Start where you're at. Amen. And it's stewardship. Like, that's what the blessing of the Lord. This is, it, when you talk about this stuff, sometimes people th- think you're talking about, like, like, just stuff. No, 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 no. The Lord told me years ago, he's like, if I got your heart, I'll give you the world. Like, it's like, because here's the thing, when you, when you own everything, not own it to a mortgage company or anything, everything becomes a seed. You can just give it away. Hey, I got this house. You need a house to live in. Here's your house. It brings no glory to God to be poor. I don't know why I'm on that. But anyway, I'm on it. Anyway, so I'm thinking, I don't know, but I believe either it's going to be me or someone else is going to have their own plane. Because it started with my, my grandfather not even being able to get around the corner. You know, now, you know, not, not for, like, I, like, listen, I live fairly, pretty simple life. It's not about stuff to me. I could care less what you think about my stuff. It's about tools for me. Tools. I don't know what, but um, generational. So we get, we have to know that we live with the responsibility to forge a way for other people and that the choices like you are not living your life in a vacuum like the choices we're making today matter for 50 and 100 and 1000 years from now and God is judging us right now for what he has called us to do in the middle of the earth so I don't know how I got on all that, but yeah, anyway, so it's, it's part of discipleship, and, and there's no, listen, I, I, when, I, when I started this ministry, I had $650 to my name, I think, 500 you know, you're going to go to the nations, I'm going, God, you got the right guy, <laughs> the nursing home's not even inviting me to come, you know, <laughs> and they want, like, they're looking for volunteers, you know, like, <laughs> you know. But I had something greater than relationships, than money. I had a word from the Lord that would bring me everything that's going to bring me. 
That's why, really, it is the, it, like, you got to be convinced it is the will of God to prosper me. But prosperity is not an outside deal. It's not about money. It's about right here. It's about, you know, when he talks about, I don't know, it's in the room anyway. Uh, Malachi 3, when it talks about open up a window of heaven, not room enough to receive, I was thinking like, well, I, I, I can think how I can receive this. But the original language is more than enough for every situation, like overwhelmingly enough for every situation that you're ever in. And when you're convinced of that, it's like, whatever, clean out the bank. I know I'm, I'm always going to be. I'm never going to live without. Because you, you, you're either right or wrong. I choose you. You're right. And so it's, it's about being like God. It's about being able to do that for the next generation. A righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children children. So the point of inheritance is, you know, you live beyond the place where most people start as a pioneer. So God thinks generationally. He thinks from one generation to the next, momentum to the next. And so we have to think that our choices matter. Psalm 24 tells us the earth is the Lord's. And he's given it up to us, and he cares about what's taking place in the earth. And so we have this responsibility. So back to the original word here, homes and families become the foundation for generational discipleship. Look at um, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, I've been reading Daniel. The Lord hasn't gotten me off of it for probably three and a half years now. Daniel chapter 1. So here's the situation. These are, um, and we'll, we'll read it here. These are actually probably no more than, at the most, maybe they're 15, but most people think they're about 11 or 12 years old. Israel, God's covenant people, has been besieged by a foreign entities, and we know that the only way they could be besieged is if they are in, they have uh, an open door to the enemy because they're not following God's word. So now they've been besieged. They have legal right to come, and they take these young uh, boys because what do they want to do? They want to disciple them, and we, here's, we pick up the story. Verse 3, and the king instructed Azenaf, master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children. Notice it says children. Daniel is one of the few people that you almost read almost from one end of his life to another, which is rare in scripture. Uh, when he has that vision, most people at the end, he's, he's probably about 90 years old. So just kind of keep that in mind. Lived an extraordinary life. Some of the children of Israel and some of the king's ascendants, some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking. Now, Abner translation says like Abner. I don't know if it says it in your, your I don't know if that's in there. It might be a, a very limited translation. Very, very limited. Maybe in my own mind, but... Uh, Gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and litter of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed, uh, let's stop there. You'll notice this, uh, what we're talking about, the point here being that, uh, I'll read it. We're looking at homes and families becoming the foundation for generational discipleship. You'll see here that Literally, the Babylonian king wants to disciple them. So here's a principle. Everyone in the world is being discipled right now. The question is, is who is discipling you? Yeah. And if the people of God don't train, the, the, if, if, the, if the body of Christ, the ecclesia, doesn't properly train their people, then someone will disciple the people of God. 
That's why we have all these really weird stuff out there, even in the body of Christ. Like, you know, even, even like, um, you know, uh, you know, keep politics out of the pulpit when you talk about abortion. It's in the Bible. Amen. That you should, the people you choose to vote for, if you live in a republic, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a republic, that's another history lesson, but, you know, so... Uh, the people you vote for should align with Scripture. Yes. And that according to the book of Hosea, God actually was upset with the children of Israel because they put people in leadership that didn't... That he said, you have put people in leadership that I didn't ordain. So you actually partner with who you put in office. That's why it's like you make a statement about abortion. I'm leaving this church because, you know... Because they've been so propagandized, they don't, they, and here's another, another issue, actually. I've learned this, that if you don't make the commitment to seek first the kingdom of God first, the lens by which you view reality will always become distorted. And Jesus taught us that no one can serve two masters. He will love the one or despise the other. So here's what happened. They actually despise God because he actually holds them back from doing what they want to really do. It doesn't matter if you said a sinner's prayer. You actually will despise the one that holds you back from the real affections of your heart. So that's why we have all, like, kind of just, I mean... All you do is talk, talking about, uh, you know, like biblical issues and people, you know, you need a deliverance line for half the I'm leaving. Go ahead and leave. You know, this is the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> what I think, you know. <laughs> Sorry to tell you the truth, you know. Sorry to tell you that if you partner with someone who thinks it's okay to murder children in the womb, that you're actually partnering with evil. It's the Bible. You know, there's other things we can disagree, but these are biblical things. If you partner with people who are, who are saying that, you know, two men and women or two women marrying is the same thing as marriage in God's sight, it's in the Bible. I'm sorry. It's unacceptable. Well, I just, I just don't think that's right. Nobody asked you. No, God has never asked me what he thought about the word of God. <laughs> well, what, do you, what do you think is the right way to do it, you know? And it is, the, it, is, it is the core lie of the Babylonian system, and it is what even created the Babylonian system. What does, she say, what does Eve say to, uh, um, uh, excuse me, what does the devil say to Eve? He goes, eat of the tree, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. It's the same thing, same lie that he believed himself. I want to be like God. I want to be a God unto myself, and I want worship, and I want to decide what's right and wrong. Now, here's a common way of, of, of phrasing it, and there's a little bit of truth in it, but that the enemy loves a little bit of truth in something. Here's a here's common thing of a Babylonian system, and please, if you say this, just get delivered. You be you. You be you. No, 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 no. No, there's only one standard. You be who you're supposed to be in Christ, and Amen. he sets the standard. Amen. Only God is the arbitrator of good and evil. He is the only one who chooses what's right and wrong. I do not get an option in it. Amen. Got quiet with that one. Yeah we, want, yeah, we want people to be original, all that, but no, 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 no. You be you. You know, as long as what you're doing doesn't hurt anyone and you're happy. 
It's, 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 it's all over the body of Christ. It's completely unbiblical. It's, a con- it, it's, it's world system ideas, and we try and throw scripture to it. Let's just be honest about what it is. You know? That's, that's why, even in the crisis, uh, here we are, even in the crisis that we're facing as a nation, you'll see leaders actually embrace Babylonian system ideas to solutions only found in the kingdom of God. And we have believers rallying around constant, because we want to be a people of death. We want to be a, a people of righteousness. But in the middle of that, you cannot brace evil philosophies towards that end. There's got to be something different. Do we want it? Do we want it? Anyway, I whew, wasn't planning. It's in the room. But the point being is that this is why we find ourselves, and this is what, even why we find ourselves, some, and, and it doesn't mean we can have little different uh, viewpoints on certain issues, but it's one of the reasons why we find so much even divide in the body of Christ, even among issues that should be simplistic. But the enemy is the divider. He'll divide people. The, the, here's the truth. Let me just I'm webcast. This is just the truth. This is the absolute truth. The overwhelming people in America saw what happened to that man in Minneapolis, and they thought it was the worst evil they'd ever seen. Now, it got quiet, because some of you are like, you know, there's all these white supremacists. There's about three white supremacists in the United States. But because there's so many narratives trying to grab people's heart and divide people, keeps people divided. Got very quiet in this room. Wasn't planning on going there, but here we go. So what does he do? We mishear what people are saying. It's distorted. I don't quite say, you're racist. You know, like, like, no, I just don't say, okay. I'm, a, I'm considered a minority in America. <laughs> but I'm also a kingdom citizen first. Amen. So sometimes people of my persuasion don't really want to hear what I have to say. Because I don't embrace victimhood. Oh. I got the golf claps and I got other people like, mm-hmm. I liked in first service. But... <laughs> so we have these mix my point in saying all this and you don't have to agree with every conclusion I come to that's not what I'm saying you have these mixing of philosophies in America that when you simply bring just some biblical truth sometimes people get mad because they are so indoctrinated with philosophy of this world system And it's not, out of good, it's not out of bad intentions, but everything, socialism, communism, even uh, capitalism, and I, I believe in capitalism. I believe it's the greatest system to ever free the poor and the earth, but you've got to have values to do it. But the point of all that is none of, none of those systems can meet what God originally intended in his kingdom. Amen. And so, oh man, 
Okay. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. The point, there's a narrative, and you'll see it here. So he takes them in, and what does he want to do? He wants to disciple them. He wants to teach them. He wants to train them. And the king appointed for them daily provisions of the king's delicacy of wine, which he drank, three years of training, so at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now, from among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hish, and Amezla. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. Notice, too, that he, he wants to change their name. Naming defies something. Your name is part of your prophetic identity. You should know what your name means. So what is he trying? He's trying to change their identity by discipling them. That's why it's so, so important to guard the affections of your heart. Guard the influences of your heart. Listen to the word more than you ever listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> no, it's true. We got to say these things. These are real realities. Listen. Uh, keep going here. Every person carries an impartation. The media you listen to, the TV shows you listen to, they have a philosophy. They have demons that attach to what they say, to what they do. So it's all competing for the affections of your heart. And your heart has been created to be this blank canvas to receive the impressions of the Lord. So what does the enemy try and do? He tries to fill, it might not even be overtly simple, but he try and Fill your heart with wrong impartations. So he tries to, and in that, he tries to, he's trying to shift your identity. Or if he can't shift your identity, he'll let you get, get a little bit of God, but mix it with world system ideas. And one of the, one of the, the, the challenges we have as an American is we think our opinion matters. It's really important. Like, my, I've learned my opinion doesn't matter. To Hannah, Meshach, Shedra, Mishael, and to Azra, Abednego. This is it right here. Right? This is really important right here. <laughs> I thought I was going to get there 20 minutes ago. But, um, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. That word purpose is to intend, to design, to determine. So his heart was already made up of what he was going to do regardless of the environment he was in. Now, this is really important because he's only a young boy. We don't know it expressly from Scripture, but probably him and his friends have been made eunuchs themselves because you're not going to come into the king's court anyway. Just leave it there. So it's not a good situation for them. They've been taken from their family. They're in a foreign land, and now someone else wants to disciple them, but he is still positioned correctly. How does a young man... And all his friends, how do they know not to bow to what they're being told to do? I believe it was his family. Someone taught him the ways of the covenant. That no matter what situation you're in, Psalm 89, verse 34, my covenant will I keep nor alter the thing that comes out of my lips. That no matter where you are, I'm a God of covenant and you can trust me no matter what the environment that you're in. His belief system was tested, but it was tried and tested. And you'll notice, this is not someone who's just gone like, listen, I don't like spinach. I'm not going to do the spinach thing. <laughs> because watch what happens here in the next verses. Yeah. 
Therefore, he requested the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Notice, he knows, notice, it's a natural thing. What I put in is going to produce something. It just goes with what I said. What you put into your heart produces what comes out on the outside. I was watching, uh, I don't know, like six years ago or something. I started watching the show. I thought it was pretty interesting. I liked the storyline to it. And then I was watching it and um, kind of got uncomfortable with one of the characters. The next time I'm watching it, the, the Holy Spirit tells me, I don't like this. Whoa. Never saw it again. It's trying to defile you. Now catch this. His favor is connected with sticking to his belief system. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head. Now listen to this. This is fascinating to me. So the eunuch basically tells him, hey, listen, man. I'd help you out, but my life is on the block here. If it doesn't, if you, you're not going to turn out good. Here's what he says. So Daniel said to the, the steward of the chief of the eunuchs, set, uh, the chief of the eunuchs had set before Daniel, Hannah, Mishael, and Ezra, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who eat portion of the king's delicacies. As you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in the matters and tested them the 10 days. What is he doing? He's actually saying, put my belief system to test and you will see that what we produce is far greater than what you're going to give to those other men. So here's a question I ask myself. Can my belief system be tested in any environment? And why did he purpose in his heart not to defile himself? Again, someone had taught him how to live properly no matter what environment he was in. So maybe on a practical level, maybe you don't have children yet, but there's this, there's this saying, and I understand what people are saying because there is, there's a sense sometimes that we put too much focus on certain men and women, but the apostolic command was this, follow me as I follow Christ. What is he saying? He's making this statement. almost sounds arrogant. He says, you can look at my life, and if you model my life, if you live the way I'm living, you will be following Christ. If you practice my belief system and my practice of life, you will find that you will be following Christ. So the question is, as believers, one of our goals should be, you can watch my life, and you can observe what it looks like to follow God in every area of your life. You know, uh, gone back to um, my upbreaking as the Lord began to teach me about this concept. And I can tell you, this is without any exaggeration at all, that if I was to choose 
not to serve God with my life or not to surrender my life to God, it would not have been my parents' fault. They weren't perfect like no people are. No parent is. But they modeled God in front of me. And what I've learned, too, since then, as I had this life-changing encounter with the Lord 24 years ago, I was 18 years old, was this. Many of the things that they practiced around me, they didn't actually, actually say, this is just not even just quote-unquote spiritual things. They didn't say, Abner, um, you know, this is how you pray, this is how you read the word. They just modeled it. And because they modeled it, when I surrendered my life to the Lord, I began to practice the things that they practiced. Proverbs teaches us a wise man walks with wise men. And there's another scripture that says, basically, uh, the, the, the message basically translation says, uh, your friends determine the quality of life that you live. I can remember, even what I'm telling you, it, this is not an idea to me, even what I was talking about just a minute ago. I remember as a um, little boy, when I'd have my birthday, and I used to love the birthday cards with the numbers on it, because that meant I was getting older. <laughs> you know, by the way, another part about giving, I was thinking about this to maybe a month and a half ago. The Lord showed me this. He said, you ever realize your parents give you everything you ever asked for? I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. He goes, how do you think I feel about you? I might have gotten it that day, but I know if I put it on that list, it was coming. (laughs) Mom, I really like this. It's coming on my birthday or Christmas or some point in the future. It's in my future. Just had to put in the request. Yeah. <laughs> and they taught me how to work. They taught me the value of work. But and I thought about literally anything I asked for as a kid, it was eventually coming my way. I just knew it after a while. But I remember, so we'd get done, you know, they'd do these birthday parties. And, you know, I used to like getting money because then I could get whatever I wanted. And she would go something like this. I don't remember the exact amount. She would say, you got $30 for your birthday or whatever. Oh, awesome. Like $30 is a lot, a lot for a little kid. Back in the day, it was a lot of money. And he goes, now she goes, now 10% belongs to the Lord. That doesn't belong to you. I'm like, Lord Jesus. Like she was Pentecostal, so it was fear of the Lord. She hadn't got the love part yet. <laughs> so, and then she would go like this. It's Pentecostal. Not saying it just helped me. And there's people preaching the gospel around the world, and they need our help. So if you want to help them, you should give to them too. Do you want to help them? (laughs) So as a little boy, she taught me right away that I had a responsibility to be a giver. That might have been with a little judgment, but that's okay. See, I, got the, I got the point. I got the love part later, you know. <laughs> My dad used to read scripture to me every morning. There's times sometimes that I'm literally teaching some part of the world, and I'm quoting scripture he put in my heart. 
My mom. Rare, rare mix of like an intercessor evangelist. She probably doesn't eat more than she actually eats. She's always fasting. She's fasting about something usually. She's fasting right now, be at the elections. Good for her. Yeah, amen. Need people faxing. So that bothered some people. Anyway, um, she would, I, I'd listen to how she would pray for me. And she, because she grew up Pentecostal, she'd be on her knees. She says, how she pray for my sister and I? Lord! And she would like name the day she dedicated me to the Lord with my dad. I gave him to you. He's yours. She didn't pray that I would become something. Didn't pray I would become famous or anything like that. She would pray. Lord, do whatever you want in his life, but make him miserable till he serves you. Make him really hard for him to ever sin. Keep him from sin. It's very, very hard to sin when your mom prays like that. I get home from doing something wrong. She goes, do you want to be doing that when Jesus returns? That's how I grew up. This is no exaggeration. She tells us, the Lord is going to hold you responsible for everything you do. Just give me the word of God. So what happened? The impartation. You received it just by being around it. By being in that environment. And there's a theme that the Lord is developing here today. We started talking about the subject of faith in the morning session. And faith is one of the foundations for our connection with God. We have a spiritual foundation that we're building. Jesus taught us that there's only two types of people that exist in the world. Those building correctly and those building incorrectly. There's no, there's no middle ground. No middle ground. Hey, let's turn there. Thank you for being hungry. I'm saying a whole lot of stuff I didn't plan on saying. But I, I, I do think I have an idea of where we're going. <laughs> Look at... um. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Notice, notice he said, therefore, he, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So, I said, and here's the other thing. You will live a very frustrated life if you're trying to add God to your life and you're around the things of God. Some of the most miserable people in the body of Christ are those who are listening to truth, but never acting on that truth. Or they are trying to understand God without the daily decision to seek God's kingdom first. As a leader, uh, um, I think... Yeah, eight, this is my 18th year of ministry, and I work quite a bit with leaders, and sometimes, I don't know why, but I, I, I counter, they want to tell me about the problems. We want to, can we meet with it? We want to talk about this problem. Okay, not sure how I could help, but I'll do my best. And I'm listening, because I've learned that 
a lot of times when people are talking about stuff that is not actually the problem. So I'm listening. Many times as I'm listening, the Lord will say, the problem here is, so I want to find the root. Sometimes we're just talking about symptoms. Do you know most people who have a sexual addiction in any way, the problem is not the perversion. The problem is the rejection. So knock out that rejection principle demon, you can deal with the sexual perversion. They are drawn to those things because they accept them. And they're finding gratification in it. So the perversion and the addiction is just a symptom. There's a root under there that needs to be unlocked. That's why you see people, I got delivered the perversion demon, but I still struck. Because they never got rid of that. Anyway, I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's for someone in the room. Keep moving right along. So the Lord says, he says to me, he said, the problem here, and this is with leaders, so there's no shame or guilt. The problem here is Matthew 6.33 is not a settled issue in their life. What does that mean? Seeking first the kingdom of God, since it's not settled, it will cause every other area of your life to live dysfunctionally. But the problem is sometimes many people will try and, can you please silence that cell phone? I appreciate it. They will try, they will try and deal with the symptoms, but not the root part of that foundation. So you have to settle that issue because the kingdom of God and God was never meant to be known by a human being from a casual observance. The kingdom of God was only meant to be known by those who have been fully given their lives to it. The kingdom of God is like this. A man, right? This is how he taught us. A man who found a precious pearl, right? And sold all that he had. And some people get mad about 10. Sold all that he had. Why? Because he knows if he has the kingdom, he's got everything else. So the point being is, here's part of the foundation. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God has given us, and and the principle there is this, that he gives us everything that we need. So the God kind of faith is already on the inside of you. He makes you responsible for developing that. Part of developing that is putting God first. And I have noticed after 24 years of trying to live this the best way I know how, you must start it every day. Finding my brethren, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. What does he call it? Your reasonable service. We call that extreme in America, but it's your reasonable service. And you have to make it every day. Can't, like every day, Lord... Thank you for another day, and I'm yours to command today. Thank you that your mercies are in you every morning. Thank you that I'm in you. But I yield myself, spirit, soul, and body to this. And, I, and here's the other part. I'm yours to command. Here's another part of foundation. It says, anyone who hears my word and does it, here's another posture of your heart. You have to make a consistent decision on a daily, daily basis that you will do, that, your, that the word of God will be your highest standard. Now, this, is, this kind, kind of sounds simple, but your foundation is built by practicing the fundamentals on a daily basis. Because here is the heart of God, and this is my heart. You don't want to just do this for a day. God wants Psalm 112 to be a reality in your life. 
What is Psalm 112? His heart is established and his heart is not moved. I've seen people pursue these things. I've, I've been in renew, I love renewal. I've seen people, they come and they go. They treat things of God like a fad, and you don't see them after a year or two. And the will of God is long-term runners, not the sprinters. Long-term runners. All the way, finishing the course, doing everything that God told them to do on the earth. Not finishing with anything left, but I've done what you've asked me to do. I've finished the course. So faith. The po- God, your word is number one in my life. Whatever you speak, I'm yours to do. Amen. Teach me your ways. Let there not be... Why is that so important? Because Jesus taught us this in John chapter 7. The, 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 the voice of God is not that difficult. He said, anyone who wills to do my will, what's he saying? It's a posture of your heart where literally you're going, whatever you want. He said, anyone who wills to do do, do my will will know that my doctrine is from the Father. What's he saying? Anyone who's got the willing heart will know my voice, know my will, know my purposes, and know my plans. So it's the posture of your heart. So it's that posture that opens us up to hearing. And hearing and doing, and your life, because the kingdom of God operates like this, your life is supposed to operate by revelation. Got the one amen. (laughs) But here it is. I will liken him to a wise man. So wise people live like this. It was founded on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods floods, uh, came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings, I want you to notice too, that both people are hearing what God is saying, and there's different application. This was God's heart. He came on earth, and he was through Jesus, he sang truths life-changing, transforming things, things that would transform family and lineage, but he would say things like this, he who has ears, let him hear. Then he would teach us, he would teach us, he would say, he would say, he was marvel because of the unbelief, the actual position of their heart uh, cut off what they could receive from God. And here, here, let me just say this. In a place like this, where there is a spirit of revelation, where you're worshiping God, there is a tendency to begin to treat the things of God casual. The word of the Lord is coming. And you're going, hey, man, what's, what's Pastor Tracy making for dinner? <laughs> it's, not, it's, not this, it's not that you can't sometimes love it, but be so careful that you do not treat the word of God, the presence of God, the things of God casual. Because you act, the way you come in actually affects what is taking place here. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who, the, who built the house on the sand. And the rains ascended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and great was its fall. Notice, too, the two different people. There's only two types of people on the earth. Those two types of people, you cannot tell how they have built. The person who built foolishly looks like a Hollywood set. It's 
awesome, but it's not real. They have the language. They're, they're, they, they have embraced religiosity, but the truth, that, that's why. Why can you hear a, 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 someone like, oh, they're really pop. That's, like, that's a good speaker. Nice. You don't even remember what they said. <laughs> then someone gets up here breathing life-giving words. It could go like 20 different ways, but you're like, let me listen to that again. Because it released something to your heart. It was in here. There was an authority captured to it. There was a depth on the inside of there that when your spirit heard it, goes, that is life-giving. I must hear that again. Read this. 1334, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. For joy over it sells, uh, joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of God is worth everything. Man, there's nothing else worth living for. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had, this is Matthew 13, found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's a characteristic of people who go the long haul. I have found that part of walking with the Lord, and I've learned this. For me, this is honestly some of the, sometimes it's even strange standing in front of people speaking. Because I think to myself, this is so hilarious. Least likely to stand in front of people and speak. (laughs) Me. It's really true. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. When I went to college, I did not go on an academic scholarship. (laughs) Definitely did not. Athletic. My, your mind's not right when you're not born again or not living right. Had this life-changing encounter with the Lord. I'm leaving college. I'm having some of the smartest people in my graduate. I graduated with honors. Why? Because God made me smart. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. I got three degrees. Work on another one. Not, not, I don't, but it's like God just makes you smart. Walk with him. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. There's nothing I can't do if God told me to do it. Amen. But I say that because I, I know I stand in a ministry office and I receive that. Developing into certain things. But before that, we're all disciples. Personhood never precedes purpose. Paul never says Apostle Paul says, Paul, an apostle. Never said Nathan the prophet said, the prophet, excuse me, it always, his personhood always precedes purpose. So we're all disciples. A disciple is one who's trained to bring up. Part of being a disciple is to be disciplined. To build the fundamentals, you have to live a disciplined life. That's not very popular with charismatics. Because listen to me, listen to me, this is really important. We have spiritualized our dysfunction. 
well, the Lord's just bringing me over here and over here and over here. I don't think that's the Lord. I think that's your own wayward orphan spirit. Because there's an order and there's a structure of God, how God calls us to train us. It's getting quiet. But I've learned, I remember, let me just tell you like this. I'll use this example. I remember the first time, I, literally my whole life changed one night, like a year, into, like a month into college. And I had this, literally, my, literally the trajectory of my whole life changed in one night. And I remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to God. I'm in my dorm room. I'm going to talk to God. I, I Seriously, I had, I had an agreement with the Lord. This is what I said to the Lord. I said, I've given you my life. I'll do whatever you want. Whatever. I'll leave school. Whatever. I'm in. I'm all in. Listen to the Lord. He said, that's not what I have for you. So I, I said, all right. I'll get my, whatever. But I'm going to know you. And I remember, I, I talked, like, I was going to talk to God. You know, I, was, you know, I go around the things of God, and I wait for my Benny Hinn moment, like the first day. It's like, the angel's going to come, the chariot's going to come. No, I'm serious. I wanted it, you know, like. So I talked to God that day, like, about everything I could talk. I talked about, like, and you know, I'm running out of things to pray. Talking about my fourth grade dog, you know, everything. And I think at least 20 minutes have gone by, like six minutes have gone by. And I thought to myself, <laughs> no, this is, you got to tell these things. Yeah. And I thought, how do people talk to you? This is so boring. <laughs> but what I learned is that you have to begin right where you're at, you could be bored again 20 years or two weeks or two days. Got to begin right where you're at. And I knew this verse. So I, I knew. I had enough of this. I knew this verse. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So I knew God couldn't lie to me. Like when people are like, it's not working for me. I said, well, either, either you or God is lying. I pick you. <laughs> like God could never lie. So he's, I knew he's got to show up. So I was trained as an athlete. So I said, I'm going to start it. I think I start at like seven minutes. I'm going to talk to you every day for seven. I'm not moving. I'm not going to move. I'm going to talk to you every day. Then it became 15 minutes. It became 20 minutes. And I learned that you have to begin to feed your inner man. So Paul, Peter put it, the inner man of the heart. You, have to, you are responsible for the nutrients you put in. Now, here's an interesting thing, a discipleship goal. Sometimes, even among Pentecostals and Charismatics, like we're like, bad flesh. No, no, no. You can actually put the, 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 the flesh doesn't guide you, but your flesh is not bad. Like if you think your flesh is bad, like that's a nasty place to live. You're at war with yourself. <laughs> no, it is. Nothing good in the flesh. David said, my heart and my flesh cry out. What happened? He had put himself around, and I know what that's like in small measure. Because there'll be times I'm like, just doing something, the Lord's like, I'd like to talk to you right now. Or like there's this craving for the presence of God. But it didn't happen overnight. I just began feeding myself. 
So part of building your foundation and the fundamentals is putting yourself. And here's the thing. Don't beat yourself up. Like, I, I remember, like, you know, people like, I'm trying to get up early in the morning, and I fell asleep. I said, well, maybe you need to rest a little more. <laughs> now, the other side of that, though, is God does want you disciplined. There's, a, there's a, a, a mentor in my life. I was reading a story yesterday, and he said this. He said, I wanted to get up and get in the Word every morning. He said, so the first morning I got up, went to the spare bedroom in my house, and I fell asleep. Next morning I did that, fell asleep. So he said, like, the fourth morning... He said he had an idea. He went to the bathroom in his house, and he stood on the edge of the bathtub. He knew if he fell asleep, it was going to be a bad day. (laughs) So he made the decision, I'm going to get in the Word. I ask the Lord all the time. Sometimes on four or five hours, Lord, wake me up just a few minutes early just so I can start the day with you, early flight or something. So you determine, and here's what happens. When you begin to put that on the inside of you, you begin to hunger. I remember start 5, 10, 20, 30, hour. Then it just, I'm not going to talk more about that. But you begin to grow. And one of the number one things I grew in, I just grew. I remember I went, that, during that time, I went to the Brownsville Revival. And the reason I went that week was because Suzette Hatting was there. She was Reinhard Bunke's intercessor. And I knew she prayed for hours. I said, I got to know how to connect with God deeper. And she said something that you might think is very simple, but I didn't know it then. She said, in her South African action, she said, the majority of my time with the Lord, I spend worshiping. I said, what? I said, what? I didn't know you could do the two. So back then, I bought every live integrity tape then. And I put it in. And there was a prayer meeting at my church. Church, I'm still a member today. Prayer meeting every Saturday night before the Sunday services. It was about 35 minutes from my college campus. So what I did was I, like, this is awesome. This is how I thought. I still think this way. I got 35 minutes in the car to talk to God. Then I got an hour of corporate prayer. Then I got another 35 minutes to drive home and pray in tongues. Still to this day, most of my time is just spent worshiping with the Lord. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Speaking mysteries unto God. Just If you don't know how to, like, just start every day. Just put it, now it's on my phone. I just start worshiping wherever I'm at. Here's why it's so important to fuel your inner man. Because it is only your personal hunger for the Lord that will even open up to you elementary things in the kingdom. God has this aspect called his holiness. Holy, when you think of holy, don't just think of right living, meaning this. Holy is integrity. Because of God's integrity... He will not give to people things that they are not interested or they will not steward properly. Pastor Dave goes, I hate blue pants. I hate them, hate them with my life. I hate blue pants. And on his birthday, I give him blue pants. There is no integrity in that. It lacks integrity. So here's something interesting 
in how Jesus discipled his disciples. We all know fellowship is part of that foundation. Deep life, you can't go beyond that. No man or woman will ever go beyond their life of fellowship with God. Show me someone who talks to God and knows God. I'll show you someone who really knows God. Not just, hey, praise the Lord, yeah, all that stuff. That's some register or anything. That doesn't, it's like, like we just got to be honest with ourselves. All this shouting and confessing without deep inside work will do nothing to the world. Just makes us run around and get tired. But in Luke, the 11th chapter, he never, ever teaches his disciples to pray until they are hungry enough to ask him about prayer. Think about what he's saying. One of the most elementary things in the kingdom, he doesn't teach them on until they are hungry enough to ask him. So what do we want to do? We want to be disciplined disciples. It's not like, you know, beat yourself, but it's like there is a discipline to walking with the Lord. There are disciplines you have to develop. There are things that will not take place in your life if you do not develop them. There are things you can receive by being a part of this house. There are things you can receive by being in an atmosphere of anointed men and women, but there are certain things that will not develop in your life unless you go, Lord, I I am going to seek to do this. And everyone's at a different, I would never put the requirement what God has asked me to do upon you. But everyone will be responsible. You know, if you're a single mom taking care of kids, you know, use the 10 minutes on the way to work to pray in tongues. You know what, though? When you steward that time, God will give you more time. He'll just increase it in advance. Don't get beat up if you only have to. Just use it. And what you also find is once you start putting God first, you'll find out you're doing a lot of stupid stuff you never needed to do. <laughs> no, seriously. So God's goal is a habit. Here's a habit. I'm, God, you guys are good pulling things out of me. Here's the thing about a habit. A habit is an acquired pattern of behavior that has become almost involuntary as a result of frequent repetition. I, I, when the t- from the time I was seven till I was 23, I was an uh, amateur wrestler. My last year in college wrestling, I was practicing some of the same moves that I, was, I practiced at 23 years old when I graduated. What's the point of that? The reason a, a, a college match at the most was maybe 11 minutes if you went into overtime, regulation match, seven minutes. What do you do in practice? They put you in multiple situations in practice. They go, oh, Abner, you're, you're down by two points, or, or, or I would be out there wrestling for 10 minutes you know, in what would you call the, the neutral position on my feet, wrestling with guys. And, and sometimes they put you in these different positions. And what is the point of all these different positions at the match? The point was to give you a mindset that when you were in that match, that you did not have to, oh, he's grabbing my leg, I need to do this. I need, be, you had already done it so many times, you knew how to react to the situation that you're in, that though you had a free choice, it was an involuntary response to the environment that you had placed in yourself because the inside of you had already been developed. So what is, the, what is part of the point of discipleship? 
You don't arrive overnight. Don't be, no, 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 don't worry about all that stuff. Just, you're just start, but you want to begin to develop these habits that no matter what the environment is around you, the inside of you has now determined how you will react to the environment that you're presented. Kind of like driving a car. You know, I remember first driving a car. They still think it's funny they let, let me drive. <laughs> <laughs> I pray every time I get in the car. I do. When you first start driving, you check your mirrors, back out, check like eight times before you back out. Now what happens? When you back out, you're doing all those things, but you're not thinking about doing them. You have made an involuntary response based on the environment that you're in by practice habit. I, was, I, I liken it to this. Um, I was in California like five, six years ago. Great friend of mine, his church, his group of churches out there. We did a leadership meeting. And they know I like Cheesecake Factory. Praise the Lord for Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> so she asked me the day before. I wasn't thinking she's going to get all of them. She said, like, what kind of cheesecake? So I listed off a few cheesecakes, maybe two or three. She brought all three on Saturday. And she said, Ab- yeah, Jesus. You can't eat cheesecake every day or else you look like cheesecake. So she said to me, we're in this leadership meeting. She says, um, I, I have cheesecake for you today. And I bought them for you. So you, should, you, you need to eat them all. And I'm an obedient servant of the Lord. So I went and obeyed. And I, I ate a little piece of everything. And I, I, mean, I remember being in my hotel room like, like oh, I don't eat cheesecake for like a while, like a long while. Eat one piece of those. That'll make you full. So I'm like, no more cheesecake for a while. Personally for me, what I do is I try and eat a fairly healthy lifestyle, but I never let anything control me. If I say, I got to have this, that's when I'm not having it. Nothing should control you except God. So I'm teaching the next morning in a man of God. And I'm thinking, I really want another piece of cheesecake. <laughs> Why? I had put something in my body, and now I had a craving. And that's what it's like with the things of God. Satisfied, but never complete. Like, oh, this is one, but there's more. And there's a progression of truth that God wants to give his people. This is a season of unprecedented revelation for God's people. And what's so important is where there is no progression of truth, you will cease to have the understanding that God wants to give you in every area of your life. And the tendency is this for people, that when we begin to have fruit, or when we begin to see God have the breakthrough, we, listen to me, we begin to define God by what we know about his word and what we've experienced. And there's horizons he wants to bring the people of God that we've yet to touch into. And it's not that we earn it, but there's unprecedented revelation that has no earthly parallel that wants to put God on display through us. But unless we are a people who have practiced the fundamentals, we will not position ourselves to receive the jewels of the kingdom that God wants to give us. Jeremiah 33, call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things, what? Which you know not. So it denotes there are things that we do not know about. 
above and beyond what we could ask or think. Said it this morning. If I have told you earthly things and you do not understand, how will you understand if I tell you heavenly things? So he wants to position us. There, the Lord told me there are, there are a billion and million dollar ideas that I want to give the people of God. But this is where, this is where the, we'll short circuit sometimes because God will give us a gifting. God will give us an anointing or a favor in a particular area. We've advanced. Wow, we're vice president or God is blessing us. We started on our own business. And if we switch the foundation and don't put God first, like, well, you know, like, you know, I know I committed to be a redemption house with my family every Sunday, but, you know, my boss wants me to work and I need to do this if I want to advance. And God was like, that's just a temporary stop for you, Junior. If you put me first, I wanted you to actually own this joint. And so we don't want to, no shame, no blame, but we don't want to miss any of the turns that God has for us. So we want to keep the fundamentals going. What did he tell? What did the instruction, the instruction for Adam was have dominion over all the earth. To you, it has been granted to know the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. What's he want to tell us? And then he says, he says, uh, and I will reveal to you secrets hidden before the very foundation of the earth. God wants a people with the internal structure to carry things that would literally change nations. This is such an important time for that. And so it's not a matter of earning. I, 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 see, the, I see our walk with God, and I'll... Actually, i got two more points I'm going to close with. I see our walk with God like this. I was in uh, Switzerland last year. I was teaching at this uh, prophetic school, and um, the year before I'd been there, I'd been a conference. It was like, I think, Easter weekend conference the year before. And... Um, this couple on this leadership team of the ministry I was on, they, she had just given birth the year before. So the next year I come back and I see he's a little, he's a lot bigger, a little, little boy, Jason. They say to me when I got there, they said, Jason is walking now. I said, awesome. So I think like the first day after the break, they're like, look, come look, Jason's walking. And he's doing this. He's holding on to them and he's taking his first steps. He's not walking on his own yet. And remember, I heard the Lord say to me, that's how I get excited when my children start walking in the right direction. He's not, listen to me, like you don't need discernment to know the upgrades we need as the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. It's not that we don't need to shift and change, none of that stuff. I'm all for that. But it's so easy. Oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. I got to repent. You know, you know. The Lord spoke to me about a month ago. He said, I'm so pleased with my people on the earth. There's a remnant that is positioned correctly. There's a remnant that hears me. There's a remnant that knows me. 
It's like a, almost like this popular religious thing to just beat up the people. We need to repent, you know. And I'm all for repent. I'm all for right, all that stuff. But there's a spirit that is not of God that loves to criticize the people of God. I mean, think about it. You don't see Jesus doing that to his own disciples. He would point out truth and error. But he wasn't critical of the own people he had raised up to change the world. So I want to encourage you. Develop these fundamentals. I'll give you these characteristics here. call them key values that determine if an individual makes fellowship with God an established habit. Persistence, intentionality, and consistency. There's one line by uh, Gloria Copeland that I, I'll, I think I'll remember for eternity. She said, one time the Lord spoke to her, he said, inconsistency lies the power. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh man, I, yeah, I got tired after 10 minutes. Oh, just stay consistent. Stay consistent. Keep doing it. You're like, oh, man, I, I, I know the Lord wanted me to minister to this person at Wawa and I miss it. Forgive me, Lord. Keep tracking. You miss a turn. Just stay consistent. You're like, I'm going to wake up early. I'm coming to early prayer. You like sleep till 930. You get in at like right before worship starts. You came. You won the battle by coming that morning. Next week, you're going to come to prayer. You're going to get there. All right, Katie. Persistence, intentionality, and consistency. The fundamentals build your foundation. And right now is a season in the earth where we cannot forget the fundamentals. There's, a, there's, a, there's an idea that's been rolling around in my heart all during this season. It's that... If we will just position ourselves correctly, God will do what he's promised. Amen. We don't have to work it up. We don't need like a new revelation. We just need the revelation that he's given us. Yeah. Now, I will close with this. Thank you for my fifth closing. No, I appreciate it. You guys have been really, been really, really hungry. I appreciate it. I know when there's a, a hunger in the room, so I, I appreciate it. I, I Listen. I've made a commitment to the Lord, the places he assigned me. I told people, though, I said, I'm going to give you everything God got me. But if, if, if you change the way your heart is, it'll be a whole lot better for everyone in this room. <laughs> you know, you know, it really helps. There's a synergy in this room. I appreciate that, Pastor Dave. But when we finish our life, and this is, The really good news is this. God is 100% committed to every person in Christ. He's all in on helping you. You're like, I keep messing up. I'm all in on helping you. I married that woman. You told me not to marry. I'm all in on helping you. <laughs> Put that computer on the credit card that you told me not to. I'm all in on helping you. I'm all in. He's all in on helping you. It's all in. The day of your worst mistake, he's all in. Don't, don't believe the lie about him. 
Like, I just feel so embarrassed. I know, welcome to the game. Give them your embarrassment. Give them your guilt. You know, the, the sad truth is, many people think that that is actually God. They project upon God what they feel about themselves, and it's the enemy. He's like, I mean, I mean think about, you, you changed the course of world history, Adam and Eve, and God goes, I'm looking for you. Now, he's not looking for you to keep it in the dark. Get it out there. Don't blame your third cousin. <laughs> you know, well, my mom didn't love me. Well, that might be one of the reasons why you do it, but you're not your mom's fault. You're 22 now. <laughs> no, we got to talk about these things. This is the shortest part of our existence, and we'll, st we'll all stand before God. There'll be a judgment of nations according to the uh, book of Matthew, and there'll be a judgment of the individuals. And when we stand before him, we can't say, you didn't tell me. And we don't get judged for what we did. We'll get judged for what he called us to do. And one of my um, great heroes, general heroes, is Oral Roberts. This story about it, I know about his life. He was not doing well. He was living in California at the end of his life. And Richard came into his room. Richard's his son, still alive today. And Richard came in and he said, he's, he, he said Oral was worshiping God. And he said, uh, Dad, you're not doing too well, but you're worshiping. He said, yep. The Lord told me, I have finished what he's told me to do on the earth. I'm going home. That's the way you want to finish. Having done everything he's asked you to do. Having finished every assignment he's called you to live. And when you leave the earth, it doesn't matter if anyone ever thinks you're famous. But when you leave, generations are different. My grandfather... Julio Lopez. You might not know him, but he's famous in my family lineage. I've told this because I think about this, these things. I wrote uh, about a year and a half ago because I was thinking, the Lord was teaching me about this. So I wrote Randy Clark an email. I said, Randy, I just want to thank you because you've changed my whole family lineage. Because of your yes to God, mine and my life's family is forever the same. You've literally, because of your yes to God, I've told my pastor, because he said yes to God at 42 years old with four kids and left a great, great place and came to Fayetteville and started church, my life was never the same. Wow. I told Jerry Seville last year, I said, because of your yes to God, my life has changed. Thank you for serving God. You don't know the effect of your yes. 1969, my dad comes to this country. There was a man at a job training program. My dad had already had an encounter with the Lord, and he goes, you need to come to my church. My dad's like, no, I only go to Catholic church. You need to come to my church. Kept asking him. Persistence. Wow. Shows up at a church, goes to a wedding, thinks the people are crazy. <laughs> because they're having a wedding, and there's no alcohol. 
He said, these people are nuts. How can you have a wedding with no alcohol? <laughs> so the guy says, sees my dad there. He goes, we don't have service today, but come tomorrow. We'll have service. My guy goes, oh, no, I, you know, basically I did, told this guy, I'd come. I came to this church for whatever reason. He went to the service next day. I believe someone was praying. You don't know what your tongues are saying. You're praying mysteries unto God. So this pastor, he went to Sunday school. Pastor, during Sunday school, keeps going, someone here needs to get born again. Today's your day to get born again. Today's your day to get born. He made it to Sunday school. And then how many, how many can identify with this? He said, Abner, when I was hearing his message, it was like he was preaching my life. I was thinking, how does this man know me? Think about all those yeses so I could stand here today. It's a domino effect of yes. He finishes his message and somebody, he goes, someone here needs to get born again. He goes, if you want to get born again, slip up your hand. My dad said, in my mind, he said, do not lift your hand. The next thing I knew, my hand was up. (laughs) And they're Pentecostal, so you know he's not staying in the back of the church. They're not Baptists. They're like, come on down. He said, I already thought they were nuts. He goes, and now they're saying you're our brother and our sister. He goes, I knew they were really nuts now. But he says, this is why I went home. He said he, already, he had an encounter with the Lord when he's leaving Cuba. And um, he said, I asked the Lord, is this you? Is this the God I've encountered? He goes, because these people are nuts. <laughs> and he goes, this is me, and this is a place that will train you. Think about all the yeses. You're serving, just saying hello to people on Sunday morning. Think about what your yes is doing. Just a little yes. I still, honestly, I don't even remember when I was 18 years, and I, I, I've, the Lord showed me. It was an answer to my mom's prayers. This guy knocks on my dorm room door. I'm a month into college. I'm struggling with some things. The guy goes, hey, I think this Baptist evangelist, he's Young guy, he's really good. I think you'd really enjoy him tonight. Hey, you know, I'm not doing anything. So I'm sitting in the back. That's what you do when you're backslidden and chasing girls. <laughs> not you, me. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts telling stories about young men They'd, in a Muslim nation preaching the gospel, and they would beat them with rods. And they'd throw them out of the village, and they'd come back preach the gospel the next day, beat him with rods, throw him. I remember being in the back of the auditorium and thinking like, I love you, but I don't love you like that. You can love God, but him not be priority in your life. I'm like, that's crazy. And I'm in the back of that auditorium and I have this sense, somehow if I don't surrender my life to the Lord, somehow my life is not going to turn out like God wants it to. I knew what was coming. Because I'd been around the things of God. And I had a choice to make. And I remember, he's like, if you just want to give everything to God, just stand up. I remember standing in the back. As soon as I stood up, my whole life changed. Literally. I, I, That's why I say I'd never, like, I thought preachers were weird. Especially <laughs> traveling ones. <laughs> They'd come to your church, you know, with an RV and make their kids sing. Make them all wear the same clothes. 
And Evangelist Cougar wanted everyone to talk in tongues before he left. Shandai my bow tie, you know, like that. So, but listen, when I stood up, I saw myself going around the world preaching the gospel. I saw myself seeing the power of God displayed in general, and there was a seed that I had to water that went inside my heart of a deep hunger for the things of God. My life literally changed in one night. Everything changed in one night. Everything changed in one night. I, I wrote a letter. I don't know. I don't think I've ever said this. I wrote a letter to that guy this year because I've been following him. I said, I'm really sorry that I've never sowed a seed into your ministry, but you changed my family's life. And um, I did something for his family. He said, nobody's ever done that for me. And I said, you got a partner for life because I must sow into what changed my generational line. I'm saying that also because I keep having this sense over the last six months that the period of history we're living in right now is connecting with saints of old who have prayed for the time that we're living in. We're about to see an eruption of the prayers. I keep seeing it like Pentecostal, like they were like the first Pentecostals and they were praying, they actually prayed for the time period we live in now. And the Lord would say that there's an open door. It's going to open. Might be other days, but I see it's December 31st, 2020. There's going to be an open door of the glory of God. And the Lord says, this nation, oh, Shamahaya, will be shaken at the core. But in the middle of great shaking, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the Lord says to his people, keep your focus, keep your eyes upon me, and know that you're in the earth for such a time as this. And the Lord says, give me your fear, give me your worries, give me your struggle, because I've put you in the earth for such a time as this. And I've given mahaya mahohoyo, I'm giving my people resources, 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 resources to do what no other generation has done, that you would leave a mark in the earth so that even seven generations from now, they will say that that is the generation that shifted the history of this nation. And I see a baton being handed to us. So Lord, tonight, we receive that baton. And Lord, with your help, we can't do it on our own. With your help, we just present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And we say, let it be according to your word. Amen. Hey, uh, I know he talked about, but... Um, if you can stay, I will pray for everyone tonight, but, um, no, I will, but I can't go beyond what God's assigned me to do in this session. So, Pastor Dave.